Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, Today we're going to continue week two of our series, New Thing. We sort of took off last week for Easter But as we'll see, the way that we attacked Easter is going to kind of fit right in perfectly almost to a preview of where we're going to go today in Acts chapter 3. So this series, uh, New Thing, as we continue our study in Acts, uh, is really all about how the church really grew, powerful, explosive type of events that happened, one that we looked at a couple weeks ago. So I want to recap where we went last week because we're going to pick right up after this event happens uh, in Acts chapter 3. So in Acts 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple for a time of prayer. There's a huge crowd obviously gathered there to, to pray at about three in the afternoon. And every day there's been this lame man who's been dropped off by fr- family or friends at the gate to beg for money. That's how he makes a living. And so he's there begging and Peter and John see him. They stop him. They look at him. They say, look at us. And he's expecting that they're going to give him some money because that's what he needs. But they say, we don't have any money, but what we do have is even better, and we'll give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And so the man starts to get up. Peter pulls him up to his feet. His ankles and feet and legs are strengthened, and he runs, he leaps, he praises God, because now this man who has been lame for 40 years, at least his entire life, can now walk by the miraculous power of Jesus. So just after this, we're going to pick up here and read the next few verses and start to see how Peter takes this chance to explain what they've just witnessed. Because it's not every day that you see a beggar that you've seen in the same spot year after year after year get up and run around and walk. So he's like, we're going to tell you what's happened and who did this. So we'll read it and then we'll look at it here this morning. Acts chapter 3, verse number 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. It is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Remember we talked about that last week on Easter, everyone rejected Jesus. We'll we'll mention that more in a minute, but I thought that was cool this week about how we just talked about that last week. So, never mind, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Anyway, this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. So perhaps you've heard of the phrase carpe diem. Maybe you've heard that. That's Latin. It means seize the day. 
It means, you know, just attack the day. Don't waste time, you know, whatever. So today we're going to look at a different phrase that sounds similar. And we're going to look today, we're going to challenge ourselves to carpe occasio. Now that is not an Italian dish that you make for dinner, okay? <laughs> it is not a Harry Potter spell. Carpe Ocasio, okay, it's not what that is. It's also not the cousin of the representative from New York, okay? There's no relation to Alexandria or anybody, okay? This is a Latin phrase that means seize the opportunity. So carpe diem, seize the day. Carpe Ocasio is Latin for seize the opportunity. That's exactly what Peter does in this moment on the heels of this supernatural miracle. And so hopefully today, we, as we examine what we just read, we'll be encouraged to follow Peter's example, which is really, we're going to work through a four-step process that will hopefully help us to carpe ocasio, to seize the opportunities that God gives us. So if you've got a process that involves an opportunity, the first step is probably going to be the opportunity. Got to start somewhere. And so what Peter does here is he sees that this healing that's just happened is not just a healing, if I can even use that term. It's not just a healing. He also recognizes that it's not just for the man who was healed. Peter sees this moment as an opportunity for everyone in the vicinity to hear something, to learn something, to notice something, to see something. So he has this opportunity, and he just walks right through that open door. He wastes no time in giving them an explanation of what's happened. And what he did here, we'll, we'll start here with this opportunity, is he uses really three descriptions, or three titles, if you will, of who actually performed this miracle. Because he, he off the bat says, hey, I didn't do this. My, my buddy John here, he didn't do, like, we had no way, we have no way of making what happened happen, you know, but someone else did that. And so he starts by saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors did this. So he starts kind of on the shallow end. He starts where everyone in the audience can probably say, okay, that's odd, that's weird, but we have common ground here. He's giving God the glory for this miraculous Event. And there's an obvious connection all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, all throughout their Bible, or what we call the Old Testament, to who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. So he's, he's building that bridge with the audience. He's finding common ground here. But then he goes one step further with his second description of who performed this miracle. Because he says that this healing and this miracle is for the purpose of God bringing glory to his servant. It's the second title he uses, and really, he says the servant is Jesus. So again, he finds the common ground. The God of our ancestors did this, but really, his servant Jesus did this. Now, Peter uses this title and description on purpose, and he, like with the first one, is making an Old Testament connection. So Isaiah 52, verse 13, uh, says this, See, my servant will prosper he will be highly exalted. And then this leads into Isaiah 53, which we looked at a bit last week, which is that passage is called the suffering servant. So Isaiah, you know, he's got two of the most famous prophecies about Jesus. He's got both of them. Isaiah 9, about the birth of Jesus. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he's got that one. 
in chapter 9. And then Isaiah in 53 has what we looked at on Easter. You know, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. So he's got two of the most famous prophecies about Jesus. Isaiah's got both of them. And so Peter goes back to really the beginning of the end of 52 of Isaiah and the beginning of chapter 53, which gets to, as I got excited to share this uh, this timing of God in, in preaching for me. Most people don't care about this, but I'll just show you how God was really cool this week with me, the last couple of weeks. Um, so this Easter sermon I preached yesterday, God gave me a skeletal outline for that like a year ago. So I had, this, I had this thing, it just comes to me, so I've got post-it notes on my desk all the time, just in case this happens. So all of a sudden, something came in my brain, so I write down this thing, and it was basically the four main ideas from last week. That was about a year ago, and I knew that it's going to be for Easter this year. Not knowing what we're going to be in Acts yet, not knowing when we get to Acts, where we're going to be yet, but here's the cool thing. So last week, we looked at how everyone rejected Jesus. The religious leaders rejected him, Herod rejected him, Pilate rejected him, and even Peter, who's preaching on Act, in Acts 3, rejects Jesus. Peter talks about that in Acts 3. He says, hey, this Jesus who is the servant of God, you handed him over to Pilate who rejected him. You rejected him and then he had him killed. So I just thought, man, that's really cool how God just does things. Like he knows, he does, he's above time and space. So when he says, hey, a year ago, you're going to preach this sermon in this way on this date. So the next week when Peter talks about it, it just flows right in even though it wasn't connected at all. So that, that was probably just for me, but if that means anything to you, then good for you. Anyway, so Peter, though, is he, what he's, he's telling us here, he said the crowd a few weeks ago had an opportunity to do something with Jesus, and they blew it. They handed him over to Pilate. Pilate then, as we discussed at length, had an opportunity to do something with Jesus. He even says over and over again, he's innocent, he's innocent, he's innocent. I shouldn't be killing him. You shouldn't be wanting him killed, but I'm going to kill him because you want him killed. So Pilate has an opportunity with Jesus, and he blows it. But Peter here, even though he's already had an opportunity outside, denying him blew it, this time he has an opportunity, and he takes full advantage of the opportunity that God gave him with this healing to explain who Jesus is. So again, Peter's progressing here. The God of our ancestors did this, but it's to glorify his servant Jesus. But there's one more description that Peter gives of who actually healed this lame man. And he's, he basically calls Jesus the Holy One which again is not an accident, and again is in Isaiah. So Isaiah 12, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's just six verses, so it's okay. And I'm going to focus, it's just the last verse, but the whole, the whole prophecy is so beautiful. I just want to share the whole thing with you just for a second to get to where Peter's really, you know, putting it in there to them. So let's go back to Isaiah 12. Again, Peter called Jesus the Holy One. He's making a, quite a claim here, but let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. Isaiah the prophet says, In that day you will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day you will sing, Thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. And here's the key. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. 
Peter's make, he's using the same title for Jesus that Isaiah used 700 years before in looking forward ahead to Jesus. Again, it's all futuristic. So really with this prophecy, there's two layers to it. There is initially, after the exile is over, you'll come back and you'll be a new people and you'll worship God. You are angry, but now you're not. And you did punish me, but now you're lifting me up. There's that part of it. But Isaiah's also looking way further into the future than just that. He's looking to Jesus. And now Peter's looking back at Isaiah, and they're meeting in the middle saying, Jesus is the Holy One that Isaiah talked about. And he's the one who did this miracle. So you see that progression here? The God of our ancestors, the people are like, I can, I can deal with that. But his servant Jesus, well, that's what you think. But Jesus is the Holy One. He did this. So Peter's using this opportunity to point to Jesus, to bring attention to Jesus. And what he does with this opportunity is he says this. Here's the second part. He uses this opportunity to say, we're witnesses. We're witnesses. So 20 years ago, there was a guy named LeBron James. Maybe you've heard of him, even if you're not a sports person. He was drafted into the NBA out of high school 20 years ago. He's in his 20th year. And he was drafted by his hometown team in Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so Nike, he had these nicknames, you know, King James, which I thought was a pretty, pretty interesting, neat name, you know, or, or the chosen one. But Nike ran this huge ad campaign around him. And it was, I think I have a picture of it. It just says, we are all witnesses. So what they were saying is, we are seeing something we've never seen before. Like, I remember, I'm a year, year and a half, two years younger than LeBron, so I remember when I'm in high school, I'm watching high school games on ESPN, and that's normal now, but back then it was not. Like, who, who does this? Like, who takes a camera crew and travels around with this high school team to watch, because they're watching this guy. They're watching this specimen like we've never seen before at this age, this build, this size, this skill, never seen it before. We are all witnesses to the greatness of LeBron. Now, he's not as good as Jordan, right? Okay. Um, but, you know, maybe second or third on the list, right? Anyway, we are all witnesses. But Peter, what he's saying is actually the opposite of what people said about LeBron. They're saying, we've never seen anything like this. And Peter says, oh, I've seen this kind of stuff all the time. I'm, we're witnesses. Because think about this for Peter. The last two to three years of his life, these miracles have kind of become commonplace in his life. I mean, week after week, he's seeing the blind that can see. He's seen lame people that can get up and walk before. He's seen people that were dead that aren't dead anymore. Like he said, we've seen this. This is the power, the same power of the same Jesus that I follow. He was my teacher. Like it's the same power. And that's what we'll get to in a minute. But he's saying we're witnesses to this. We are. And the best part is what he, he, he points to is that we've been witnesses of the greatest miracle anyone's ever seen. And that is that not just any dead person came back to life, but Jesus, whom you had crucified, crowd, right? He came back to life. We were witnesses to this. That's what Peter is telling them with this opportunity that he has. They had a front row seat to the greatest miracle in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it, as you read, he, Jesus you know, showed himself to them after his resurrection multiple times with large crowds for an you know, extended period of time. So it wasn't like an illusion. It wasn't like a one-off. It wasn't, I'm seeing something. No, no, it was this guy literally, physically, bodily resurrected from the dead. And Peter says, we are witnesses. So he takes this opportunity to, to then share his eyewitness testimony. 
And he's doing what Jesus told him to do back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read it again quickly. Acts 1, 8, the final words of Jesus to his disciples, including Peter, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, doing what? Telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, Peter knew a witness doesn't just see, they say. A witness doesn't just see, they share. So when someone's on the witness stand in a courtroom, I mean, they can plead the fifth and not say anything, but typically a witness is going to tell you what they saw in relation to that case. They're going to share what they know or what they perceive, what happened to them or what they saw happen to someone else. A witness doesn't just see, they say. And so Peter takes advantage of this by saying that I'm a witness and it's the same Jesus that you crucified a few weeks ago who rose from the dead has given this man power. And that's really the, the third part that we'll focus a few minutes on here is this opportunity that Peter has to be a witness is all about telling about the power in Jesus' name. That's what he's focusing on here with his witness. So you might also remember, if you know Shakespeare from your time in school, the famous Romeo and Juliet, Juliet says, what's in a name? Now, that's kind of a stupid question because that's what the whole play's about, is that their names, their last names, their family names, that's what the whole thing's about. Now, of course, she's a young teenager and thinking, oh, it's not a big deal, even though to them, to their families, it was. But the question, what's in a name? Well, it depends on the name, doesn't it? Like, like if, if I have the the correct last name, I can get into some pretty powerful places in the world. If, I have, if my name is LeBron James, I can get into places that Stephen Wilhoit cannot get into. You know, I have access through that name that I don't have otherwise. If I know the right person with the right name, I can get into the right places and meet the right people and get the right results that I'm looking for. There's a lot potentially in a name. There's certain value in a name. That's why we buy name brand items. That's why Nike is who they are, because they built this brand based on their name, even just their logo. I mean, that's all it is. It's, there's not a whole lot of difference between the brands, but what's in a name can really be a lot. So as we mentioned in worship earlier, God has a specific name that he calls himself, and that name is Yahweh. Now, in the ancient Hebrew language, there's, you know, it, there's no vowels in the name, so it's Y-H-W-H is how you would spell that. I'm going to make a really long story, very short, and so there's a lot more I'm going to skip. Um, but over time, this name, uh, we added vowels to it because we like vowels, I guess. You know, in cer- certain languages, we like vowels. We enjoy them. They're, they're helpful. And so that's typically uh, the second spelling there is how we would typically spell it today. But that name, as we mentioned, Yahweh, is so holy And the Jewish people revere God's name as he revealed himself, Yahweh, that they won't even say the name. They won't won't say it. Because, again, one of the top ten commandments is to not misuse or profane God's name. They take that so literally and seriously, they won't even say his name in case they, you know, happen to stumble across it. They would have committed one of the top ten no-nos in their whole, you know, mindset, worldview in saying God's name. And so along the way, there have been other titles or sort of placeholders, if you will, uh, two main ones that we'll look at for just a second. One of them, we would say Jehovah or Yehovah. So that one's, that, that one's kind of the placeholder. It's similar enough sounding that they can actually say that one. 
and they kind of know what they mean when they say Yehovah. They, they know what they mean. So they can say that one, and it means the same thing, or, or kind of a version of Lord. And then Adonai is another word that kind of could be interchanged to also mean Lord. But when they say these words, they're placeholders for the name, okay, the name. And Peter, being a devout, faithful Jew, would have reverence for God's name. He would have the same respect for God's name. He would have grown up with this same understanding that God's name is above every name. But whose name does he focus on in Acts chapter 3? Jesus' name. So he's elevating the name of Jesus to the holy, unspeakable name of God. Now to us, we read Acts 3 and skip right over that, but that is not a small thing that Peter's doing here. This is a massive, huge shift for him. For the crowd, to hear someone say that, admit that openly, loudly, publicly, is not a small thing. He uses this opportunity to talk about and focus on Jesus' name. We'll get to this in a few weeks, but in Acts 4, he really lays it out there. Because he says, there is no other name to be saved except Jesus' name. No other name. And then in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, at the name of Jesus... Not God, which Jesus is God, but hear me. The name of Jesus, Peter, Paul says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The name of Jesus. Again, not a small thing in this time and place in Acts chapter 3. We take for granted how that doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore, but to Peter, it was everything. To this crowd, it was wild what he's saying. He's focusing on Jesus' name and the power in Jesus' name. He says, faith in Jesus' name has healed this lame man. That, again, is, is quite a huge claim, but the question is, where did Peter get this idea from? Where did he get the idea that there's power in the name of Jesus? He got this idea from Jesus, from the source. So let's go back to the book of John here for a couple minutes. So John 14, 15, 16 is sort of this last supper moment that John records in detail the final time that Jesus is with his disciples, having this meal together, and this is his final teaching with his sort of inner circle of guys before he's handed over, crucified, and, and dies and is resurrected. And he says this over and over and over again about the power in his name. Let's focus on a couple of scriptures just for a second to underscore Peter's point from Acts 3. John 14, uh, verse 12 says this. This is Jesus again talking to his disciples. I tell you the truth. So if Jesus says that, do you think you can believe what he says? I think we can. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Here's why. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Peter obviously in Acts 3 takes Jesus at his word. Because he says to the man, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. The man gets up and walks. Peter's like, hmm, Jesus was right. And so then in Acts 3, when he preaches about it, he says, the power in the name of Jesus, faith in the name of Jesus, caused this miracle to happen. And it's for the same reason. Jesus says this so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. He kind of reverses it in his sermon. Uh, God brings glory to his servant, Jesus, but it's because Jesus brought glory to the Father through the power of his name. Back to John 15, now John 15, verse 16. He says this again. 
Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Jesus says there's power in his name. One more scripture, and then we will we'll move along here a little bit on the power of Jesus' name. John 16, so it's in John 14, 15, and 16. John 16, 23, and 24. At that time, Jesus says, you won't need to ask for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use what? My name. Then he says this, verse 24, you haven't done this before. We'll talk about that. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. So Jesus even tells them, hey guys, I'm saying this so many times over and over and over because I know this is new for you. He even says, you haven't done this before. You've never asked anything in my name before. You've done things with me. You've seen me do things. I've commissioned you to go do things. But now, after I leave, you're going to need to know this. There's power in my name to do great works. So it's, it's different. And he says, do you see what happens when I pray to the Father? So we'll get here in just a second. But Jesus didn't pray in his own name, right? Like when he prayed, he didn't say, in my name, amen. Like he, he didn't do that. Uh, because he's the son praying directly to the father. So he doesn't have to do that. He's already praying in his name, in his own person. But Jesus says the same power that I have when I pray, you can have when you pray in my name. So this is why we pray in Jesus' name. Because his name is powerful. Because his name is power. The name of Jesus is effective. It does things. It changes things. So this is why the, the typical mode of prayer, even Jesus says, you won't ask me anymore. You'll ask the Father in my name. So that's why typically we would pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to overthink it. If sometimes you find yourself praying, dear Jesus, blah, 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 don't be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, it counts, okay? Like, God's not going to say, you prayed to Jesus and not me, and I'm jealous. You know, it's like, now it works. So if, you know, but typically, that's why Jesus sets this up. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't get fixated on a formula, because that's what Peter's trying to get the people not to do. He's saying, no, no. It's not like a magic trick. Jesus' name is not a magic trick. It's not like a cure-all. Well, it is, but it's not like this thing that I can rub the lamp and the genie gives me whatever I want. There's a, maybe, I would say, a bit of an element to that, but not quite. But here, So to make that even clearer than I already did, uh, let me give you three things to think about when we pray in Jesus' name, how, how, how I think we should approach this when we pray in the name of Jesus. We should pray with expectation not with obligation, and not with equivocation. So I want to read one passage from James 4 for a second, and then we'll come back to this idea. So when we pray in Jesus' name, there's power in it. We want to pray with expectation, but not with obligation, and not with equivocation. Okay? James 4, 2 and 3, James kind of gets to this a little bit, and here's what he says. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Here's the key, verse 3. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what you want only, what will give you pleasure. So again, we're going to look at this idea from Acts 3 and James 2 and look, praying in Jesus' name with expectation, not obligation, and not equivocation. So, when you pray in Jesus' name, you need to know that God hears you, okay? 
You need to know that when you approach him, he hears you and he loves you and he cares about you and that he has all authority in whatever you're praying about. There's power in the name of Jesus. So we can expect God to answer when we pray. Look again at what Peter says in, in the very first verse here. Why are you so surprised at what happened? Like we prayed in Jesus' name and the guy got up. That's how it's supposed to work, guys. So he's, don't be surprised. We didn't do this. The power of Jesus did this. So we want to expect that God will answer, but at the same time, understand that our prayers don't obligate God in any way. So God doesn't owe me anything. When I pray, he doesn't owe me an answer. He doesn't owe me a specific answer. He doesn't owe me the answer that I want. He doesn't owe me anything to work on my timing or in my way. So, and that's really what James is getting at here in James 4. He says, when you ask, your motives are wrong. You're asking for yourselves, for your own sinful pleasure. That's why you're not getting what you ask for. So we don't, we're not trying to pray to twist God's arm. We're not trying to pray, well, I prayed in Jesus' name, so now you got to do it. That's how the formula works. No, he's under no obligation to do anything, but we still should expect that he will answer without obligation. There's also one other part here I think it's important. When we pray in the power of Jesus' name, we also don't want to pray with equivocation. Don't pray scared. Well, God, if you have time, and if you could squeeze it in, and if you could get around to it, and, you know, here, here's the one that sounds good, though. God, if it's your will, <laughs> if it's your will, save that person. He sent his son to die for them. I think that's his will. I think you know his will in that, Okay. God, if it's your will, you know, do this and do that. It's like that's our way to equivocate in prayer, to pray weak prayers. God's not interested in weak prayers. I mean, he wants you to pray. but Like if you're going to pray, pray. If you're going to ask for something, don't waste your time. Just pray. Just do it. Just ask him. Expect without obligation or equivocation. Oh, God, if you would, you know, kind of, you know, I know it's a lot to ask. I know you're really busy. He's like he's above time and space. He's not busy. He's got enough time to hear you and to answer you. He's got enough power. He's unlimited. He can handle it, okay? So don't equivocate. Don't, don't, don't. I, I'm gonna get off that for a second, but just don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus says, remember, we looked at it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything to my Father in my name, he will do it. Here's the problem with that, okay? There's always a problem. I don't know exactly how that works. And I can't control exactly how that works. Like, again, I'm not obligating him, so I can't, well, there's a timetable, God, you know, it's like I got things to do, you need to hurry up, you know. It's like that's not how it works. But I also don't want to make excuses for him either. And so here's how that works. Um, I don't want to equivocate because I don't want to defend God. I'm not, I'm not that good of an attorney anyway. I couldn't do it if I tried. Because, you know, people will say, well, why hasn't God answered this prayer? I, I don't know. That's, about all, that's all I got for you. I don't know. But I'm going to keep praying in the powerful name of Jesus, expecting that God will answer. Again, not in my way, in my time. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I can't control how it works. Or why didn't God answer that prayer? Same answer. I don't know. Again, it's not a formula. It's not a genie in a bottle kind of situation. It's not a twist God's arm to get us what we want because I pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Well, I, I don't have that much uh, power or, or pull uh, with God. So again, expectation, no obligation, no equivocation. It is a bit of a tightrope walk. It is. It, it involves faith. Prayer, your prayer involves faith. Even though it's the powerful name of Jesus to an unlimited God, and powerful Holy Spirit, like 
It's a tightrope walk. And, but, 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 Peter believed in the power of Jesus' name. He believed in it, and I think we should too. So let me say one more thing about this, and then we'll move on. And this may be one of the best things I'm going to say all day, so I hope you're ready. Jesus' name is more than just the closing of a prayer. It's the opening of the supernatural in your life. I'm going to say it again because you need to write that down, okay? Jesus' name is more than just the closing of a prayer. It is the opening of the supernatural at work in your life. Now, we close in prayer that way, and that's fine, and that's normal, and probably how Jesus would do it if he said, in my name, amen. You know, that's fine. But it's not just how we end a prayer, so it's not awkward or weird or how we were taught or grew up or whatever. No, no, no. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity, really, for God to show up in your life, for God to show up in your impossible situation, for God to do what otherwise cannot be done. That's the kind of power that Jesus' name has. It's not just the closing of the prayer. It's the opening to the supernatural at work in your life. Peter believed it. The people in the book of Acts believed it. One more qualifier. I'm not equivocating, but I will qualify what I'm saying by this. Sometimes people are like, well, if someone has the power or the gift of faith or the gift of healing, why don't they just go to the hospital and walk down the halls? Peter didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. That's not how that works. And when we look at the book of Acts, it is like comprised of like several decades of stuff going on here, right? So we see all these miracles back to back to back to back to back, but it was a little more spread out than that in some ways. It doesn't probably include every miracle ever done either. So we have this false equivalency here, I think, sometimes of if, if, I have, you know, if I have this faith or if I don't have enough faith, that's why this didn't happen. That's not true. That's an equivocation in a different sort of direction, okay? Uh, so, so I want to kind of say that, to be honest about that up front, um, is again, I don't know how this works. It is a tightrope walk, but I do believe in the power of Jesus' name. So that's, that's why we pray in that powerful name. Here's the final step in the process uh, that we see here in Acts chapter 4. So Peter takes an opportunity to be a witness of the power in Jesus' name. And then he also takes this opportunity to now then say to the crowd, your witnesses as well. That's the final step in this process. He says to the crowd, your witnesses. Because the miracle that was done in Acts 3 was done in a public place, in front of the temple. There are tons of people flowing in and out of this gate where this guy is. And he, Peter even says, you've seen this man day after day after day, laying here, sitting here, begging here. And now you see he's not sitting, he's not laying, he's not begging. The power of Jesus healed him. You're witnesses to this now. Whether you knew it or not, you're now witnesses to the power of Jesus' name, just like I have been a witness over the last several years. They're witnesses to the power of faith in Jesus' name. The question is, who actually had faith in Jesus' name in this miracle? Peter and John are there, and the lame man is there. That's the only people involved in this story. So, who, which of them had faith to make this miracle happen? Peter and John or the lame man? Yes, right? Everyone involved had some measure of faith for this miracle to happen, right? Peter and John had the faith to see the man, somehow the Holy Spirit that day, because again, they've gone in maybe even a couple times that same day and seen the guy. This is the third prayer meeting of the day. So they've probably already seen him there earlier. And something about that moment, that opportunity, the Holy Spirit said, heal him. 
right? So then they have the faith to actually go up and, and do the thing. They have the faith to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and then just grab for his arm and pull him up. They had faith to do that. The lame man had faith as well because he could have said, okay, right? I'm not doing, I'm not getting up. Do you say, is this like a, is the, where's the hidden camera crew? You know, like this is not funny. It's not cute. But he had faith to start getting up. He had faith that when Peter, he, he let Peter help him up. He had faith that when, man, I feel great. He starts running around. He also had faith in the name of Jesus and saw his healing. They both had faith. And here's the, the real, as we kind of land the plane here, the real purpose of Peter's explanation here in Acts 3 is, again, to bring glory to Jesus, yes, but then also to tell the people that you're witnesses of the power of Jesus and then invite them to go from being a witness to a participant in the power of Jesus in their lives. That's the whole point. We'll get into the second part of a sermon next week that's totally different, but he says this. Basically, what Peter is saying here is you can experience this same power that you've just seen happen. This same Jesus can work in your life. You can believe in him. He will work powerfully in you and through you in every way you can imagine. Peter is saying here with his sermon, this explanation, that you can actively access the power of Jesus for you and for others. And then back to James, the brother of Jesus. He, he kind of has the same idea, I think, as Peter when he writes this in James 5.14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So James is echoing what Peter says in Acts 3, that anyone who believes in Jesus has the same access to the same power in the same name through the same faith. It's not just for Peter and John. It's not just for James, not just for the people in the Bible. It's not just for pastors. It's for everyone. We all have the same access to the same power in the same name through the same faith to see God work in our lives. Lives changed, hearts changed, circumstances changed, sicknesses healed, diseases healed, the same access to the same power in the same name. And God wants our witness of the power of Jesus in our lives to take others from witnesses to participants in his power working in their lives. You have an invitation, to turn, you have an opportunity that can turn into an invitation in any circumstance that you face. Let me give you one example that I ran into a couple weeks ago, and I hesitate to tell this story for a lot of reasons, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, it's just, I think it's an example of how even these opportunities can seem small and insignificant, but we never know the kind of impact that can happen. So uh, a week and a half ago, I was rear-ended on 64th Street, sit at the red light out of nowhere, you know. And so, you know, both of us kind of pull over to the parking lot down the street or across the lane there. And so we get out parked next to each other. And so I'm kind of looking at the damage, like, oh, this isn't great. And, you know, and that, but then I see the other driver. And she's a, you know, woman probably my age or whatever. And, and she's already crying. And she's just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's an accident. Everyone's fine. No one's injured. We're okay, you know. And she's just losing it, and so she's trying to get on her phone to get her insurance card. She can't log into her account, and she's just, like, losing it. Like, she just is breaking down, you know, in front of me. So what I see here is an opportunity, okay? And so, it, it, again, it's a small—the real reason I'm illustrating this point is because it, it's not because I want to pat on the back or toot my horn. It's just a small thing where God can do some big things potentially through that opportunity. It's all it is, Okay. 
So she's, we're talking and trying to exchange information. She just cannot find it. And then she tells me, you know, I, my sick kid's in the back, and they have an ear infection, and they were crying. I look back for a second and look back again, and you were right there, and I couldn't stop. And she said, it's just one thing after another, and I'm going through a separation with my husband. This is like the icing on the cake, and her life's just falling apart, and she's starting to fall apart. And so she's there, and again, I have an opportunity. I can just, you know, oh, we'll figure it out, you know, have a great day and move on. Or I just said, I have, a, I have a strange question to ask you real quick. Could I just pray with you real quick for a second? It's an opportunity, okay? And so she said, yeah, that'd be fine. And so I'm just praying with her, praying for a sick kid in the back, you know, praying for her marriage, praying for a car, like everything I could think of that I know about her in her life. Let's pray over all those things in the name of Jesus, okay? So now, God didn't heal our cars, Right? I still have to wait like three months to get my car in the shop to get it fixed. So that prayer, part of that prayer didn't do that, okay? It didn't fix her car. Uh, but maybe it gave her the encouragement that she needed on her way home. Maybe, like, I haven't heard from her, but maybe, maybe her, her kid instantly was healed. Like, I would need to follow up and say, How, how's your kid doing, you know? Hey, after you prayed, there was no more ear infection. Like, I'm believing that the God can do that through the power, not of my prayer, but in the power in the name of Jesus that opportunity i'm even praying that something that was prayed over is going to heal her marriage right like i'm not if i'm going to pray i'm going to pray i'm not going to say well i just wanted her to feel better and walk away and whatever no no like i want jesus to make her life whole i want her child to be healed i want her marriage to be healed i want her car to get healed like i want her to wake up tomorrow and that prayer i prayed a week and a half ago her car is totally fine mine would be great too god while you're there you know if you're not too busy if you would you know but all that, all that to say, just look for those opportunities. God will give them to you. And I'm having a girl in this. Like, that's kind of out of my comfort zone. Like, I'm, I'm pretty reserved, pretty quiet. Like, I'm not a huge people person, but I'm trying to look. Hey, God, where are you going to give me an opportunity? And will I take advantage of that opportunity when it comes? That's all we're called to do. Again, I can't control the results of my prayers. I can't control the timing of what God does or what he doesn't do. That's, not, that's above my pay grade. That is not my department. I'm just in the, I believe, in the power of the name of Jesus. I've got this opportunity. Let's just see what God can do with that. That's all Peter does. Now, his story is miraculous, right? This lame man can walk now. Uh, and mine's just this, you know, woman is encouraged maybe or whatever. But still, it's the same power in the same name. So, um, let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Do you have faith in the power of Jesus' name? Have you witnessed that power at work in your own life? So, if you say yes to those questions, get ready. Because God will give you opportunities to be that witness, to offer that invitation of the power to be at work in others' lives as well. So when those opportunities come, will you carpe ocasio? Will you seize the opportunity that God gives you? Let's pray. God, if we're here today and we're your people, and if we do have faith, not even a lot, just a little bit of faith in the great power of Jesus and his name, if we have power that you have, if we have faith to believe that you have all power and authority in heaven and earth, then may we look for opportunities to use that faith. May we look for opportunities to share about the power of Jesus to others. That's all today's been about, is setting us up 
for these opportunities that you're going to plant in our lives. Maybe it's a random coworker at work that's going through something. You're going to prompt us on the spot or maybe at an opportune time to ask to pray with them. Maybe it's a family member that we just haven't seen for a while, but we feel like we need to reach out to them. Let us take advantage of that opportunity because we never know what might come from that. Maybe it's a stranger out somewhere and they just start to talk to us in line at the checkout about, you know, I've got this pain in my arm and you're going to prompt us maybe to pray for their healing at the store. Help us if we are your people and we do believe in your power and do have faith in you to take advantage of these opportunities just like Peter did. Because you want everyone to experience your power and your goodness and your greatness and you're going to use us to connect them to you. To that power so may we be receptive to your spirit as he leads us may we be obedient to your spirit as he speaks to us and prompts us maybe stretch ourselves a bit maybe pray for someone even though we don't have the words maybe i don't even have the faith right now may the faith just rise up in us to have the faith to then pray for that person or do that thing or say those words whatever it is that you want us to do may we take advantage of every opportunity that you lay in front of us and then may we have the faith to just trust you with the results I, just like Peter, I can't make it happen. I didn't do this, but the power of Jesus can. He will, and he did. So we thank you for these opportunities that we take, and we know that you're going to do great things through them as we take these opportunities, as we carpe ocasio, take advantage and seize these opportunities. We seize, you save. We seize, you speak. We seize, you heal. We seize, and you move. Thank you for that power in your name and the faith that we have in it that can do anything. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.